Joshua chapter number 23. Joshua chapter number 23. If you take notes uh, and you write down dates and all that kind of stuff, if you did it last week, you'd know that we're in the same chapter we were last week. Preacher, you're not allowed to preach of the same chapter two weeks in a row. Watch me. <laughs> Watch me, amen. And uh, I'm not preaching the same message, but it really is this morning, Joshua 23 is going to be a, a diving board. We're going to jump off into it and off into the deep blue of the Word of God, amen. How many glad that the Word of God's a deep book? You can't exhaust it. I grew up, and I was, for the longest of my childhood, I was scared to go into the deep end. I, I played in the shallow end. I was eight years old over there playing with four-year-olds and five-year-olds, trying to act like I was having fun. I'd look over in the deep end, and I'd see those boys and girls over there playing. This is, this is back when people went to public pools. Uh, and this is back in Creighton, Nebraska. I watched those kids play sharks and minnows. Man, that game looked like so much fun. They'd dive in from one side, try to escape the shark, and uh, try to get to the other side, and I'd be over there playing splash. It wasn't even a game. That's what I'd be other playing. I'd watch them. And finally, I had enough of it. What'd you do, preacher? I got out of the shallow and I walked over to the deep end and as brave as I could announce, I said, I'm gonna play with y'all. And they said, all right, one, two, three, go. I just jumped in. <laughs> and I started doggy paddling. I realized the sharks know where the weak minnows are. And uh, I was it very quick. But I, I, from that day forward, I never went back to the shallow end. I hung out in the deep end. And I'm grateful this morning for the word of God. It is, it is a wonderful book because it, it does have milk for you. As you're a newborn babe in Christ, it has what you need to grow thereby and we're grateful for it. But can I say I've dived into the deep end of it a few times and I found out there's a whole lot in there that is far greater than I could ever imagine and dream. And I'm thankful for that this morning. But Joshua chapter number 23, we'll read three verses, pray, and I'll preach to you for a little bit, and then we'll have a time of food and fellowship, and we'll come back in here. I'm glad to be in the house of God this morning. And thank God for it, and praise the Lord for it. Look at verse number one. The Bible said, and it came to pass, a long time after that the Lord had given rest upon, all of, or upon Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age, and Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am God, or excuse me, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done to all unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask you this morning, God, that you'd help me to preach the word of God. Lord, you've uh, gracefully, Lord, you've allowed us to have an auditorium full this morning, which, which, Lord, we are grateful for and thankful for. Lord, I also understand, Lord, that I, there is a great need. God, there's pain, Lord, there's problems, there's issues, Lord, that are represented in each and every pew this morning. But Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, you're able to take care of them all. Lord, there isn't a single need in here, Lord, you can't meet. Lord, you tell us in your word that your grace, uh, Lord, is sufficient for every need that we'd ever have. We ask you, Lord, that you'd work in the hearts and lives of those that are in here this morning, whether they're under the sound of my preaching or Miss Holly's teaching this morning, 
Thank you, Lord, for a nursery. Lord, where the little babes, Lord, can learn and have a safe place in the house of God. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd help us now to glean from the word of God truths that, Lord, don't just sound good, but they are good. Lord, we can live them, we can love them, and, Lord, they can change our life. We ask you now, Lord, you'd help us one more time. Would you have me behind the cross of Calvary? Lord, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit? Lord, help uh, preaching to be, God, what you desired, desired to be this morning. Lord, help us to leave out of here, God, different than we walked in. God, thank you for fifth Sundays. Thank you for a special time of fellowship in between services, a different schedule. But, Lord, we sure are grateful for it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Last week I preached about the dangers of being undisciplined. And here's what I want to preach on this morning. I want to preach on what will he do for you? What will he do for you? Verse number three, it said that he had done some things because of you. Now, in Joshua chapter number 23, we find Israel and they're in a place of rest. In verse number one, it says, it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about you. And I kind of say, I thank God for rest this morning. Thank God for the times that God allows you and I to simply rest. He slows the things down. He, he removes the distractions. He puts us in a place. He, he keeps the enemy at bay and we're able just to rest. And here's what I found out in my Christian life. A lot of times it is in the midst of my rest that my restlessness begins. I get tired of, of sitting still. I'm one of those that when, when I'm up in the morning, I, I can try to close my eyes and go back to sleep. It's just not going to happen. And I'll, I'll get restless and I'll, I'll turn and I'll, finally I'll just say, you know what, I'm getting up. There's no point to be in bed anymore. But sometimes in my Christian life, and sometimes in my Christian life, right, it is in those times of rest, we become restless. And we see here this morning, and we know this morning, I believe a lot of times that's exactly what Satan desires out of your life, to walk out of the time of rest before God gives you the green light. And oftentimes we see here this morning that, that we, we, we think that we facilitate or, or we manufacture these times of rest. And therefore it is our call and our, 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 our ability to say, no, no, it's time to go on, it's time to leave out, it's time to get back to business but we see here this morning, there is no charge from Joshua to hurry up and get out of this time of rest that God has given them. But here what we can see this morning is there is a, there is a, a learning, there's an education process here for Israel to understand exactly where their rest comes from. They've been at rest, the enemy's been at bay, and we see that Joshua tells them that he wasn't the source of their rest. Verse number one, the Bible says that Joshua was waxed old and stricken in age. And in verse number two, or excuse me, verse number, yeah, verse number two, Joshua looks at Israel and tells them the same thing God has said about him. He is old and stricken in age. And what he's telling them is, if you thought I was the source of this rest, if you thought I 
was the one who made this rest up. You need to figure out because I'm old, I'm stricken at age, I'm about to go off the scene. You got to find out that I am not the source of rest. Can I say this morning, a lot of times in our Christian life, we try to find rest in people. We try to find rest in a place. We try to find rest in a group of people, in a facility. And what we find out is that is not the source of our rest. The church will let you down. The pastor will let you down. The Sunday school teacher will let you down. The spouse will let you down. And thanks be to God this morning that my rest does not come from people. And it does not come from a place per se. It comes from the Lord. He said Joshua wasn't the source of the rest. They weren't the source of the rest. Verse number two. And Joshua called all of Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers He'd say like this, and that's what he called everybody there before him. He said, y'all, I need to tell you something. You are not the source of your rest. You are not the ones who caused this rest among you. We are but a small nation amongst so many. Can I say they were statistically, Israel should not have made it this far. Statistically, Israel should never came to this place. Statistically, Israel should have never made it out of Egypt. But like we've already mentioned this morning, I'm glad I serve a God who looks at statistics and said, I really don't care about those. Those don't control me. Those don't guide me. Those don't stop me. I'm glad this morning we serve a God who's greater than in the statistic. They were not the source of the rest. Even assembled together, they cannot conjure up and manufacture their own rest. Joshua wasn't the source of the rest. They weren't the source of the rest. Verse number three tells us exactly the source of the rest. The Lord was the source of their rest. And notice this, their rest was produced by an action of God. Or what God did for them produced rest in their life. A lot of times we like to think, what can I do for God that I can finally get some rest? But notice what it says there in verse number three. And when you had seen the Lord your God have done all into these nations because of you. Oh, what you sit back and think about that. There's some little person in Israel. All they've done is followed Joshua. All they've done is been where Joshua told them to be and where the elders told them to be. And they watched the, 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 the walls of Jericho come down. They watched the Jordan, Jordan River roll back. They watched God take out enemy after enemy after enemy. And now they're finding out he didn't just do that because of Joshua. He didn't do that just because of the elders. He did that because of them. One preacher said, if you'd have been the only person to ever live, Jesus would have still died for you. I firmly believe this one. Why, preacher, how in the world could that be? Because before the foundations of the world, Jesus said, I will go and pay the price. I will be the lamb slain before the foundation. I will give my life on the cross of Calvary, even if there's just one. No, preacher, one, it's really not that big of a deal. The Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of heaven, not when 600 get saved, not when 30 get saved, not when 20 get saved, but when one person bows their heart and their head before Christ and accepts the free gift of salvation, heaven goes crazy. Thank God for it this morning. But the Lord was the source of the rest. He goes on to say, because of you, for the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. What he was saying was Israel's fighting what should have been losing battles. Let me, let, me, let me be real up front with you. Let's say me and you get crossways. And you purpose in your heart, I'm going to go to the preacher's house and I'm going to fight him. 
I can tell you right now, I'm to the age, I don't fist fight no more. I boom fight. <laughs> Amen. But let's say you show up to my house and you holler out, preacher, I'm here to fight you. And then you walk around my house. And then you walk around my house again. 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 And every time you stop, you shout, can I say, I'm not going to come out and fight. I'm going to think you're crazy. That's not how you fight somebody. But here, God has fought the battle for them. Israel's marched around Jericho seven times, shouted, blew trumpets, and the walls came down. Can I say, they've seen God fight for them. And now it has produced rest in their life. I want to take this idea of what God can do for you and I that produces rest in our life. What will he do for you? I'm going to give you three things this morning that when God does them in your life, it'll produce rest. Number one, what's the first thing, preacher? He can change you. He can change you. 2 Corinthians 15, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become New. Somebody has got it backwards. Somebody has messed it up. They've watered down what real Christianity is, what it means to live the Christian life or to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is not about being a better you. It's not self-improvement. It's not uh, uh, changing a few things. It's not becoming a moral person or, or uh, changing, fixing a few of your bad habits, enjoying a different lifestyle or trying it out for a little bit. I've had people say to me, I, preacher, I've already tried that before. It doesn't work. Can I say this morning, if you really get a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and if he really gets a hold of you, things will not be the same. I tried it, preacher. No, you have not. You haven't tried the real thing this morning. He gets a hold of you. He's going to fix, he's not just going to fix a few things. Listen, real Christianity is about allowing the Lord to completely and totally change you. He doesn't want to fix up a few blemishes. He doesn't want to put foundation on your, your, your blemishes this morning. He doesn't want to just fix a few bad habits or a few mishaps or a few problems. He said, behold, all things become new this morning. He wants to give you a whole brand new life. No, preacher, I just want a comfortable life. I just want a good life, preacher. I want an easy life. Can I say this morning, Jesus never promised a good life. He never promised a comfortable life. He never promised an easy life, but he did promise, and back there in the gospel, he said, but I've come that, I might, that you might have life and have it more abundantly this morning. Can I say the Christian life is an abundant life this morning, and it's one that every Christian all to be living this morning. Every person can live when you allow God to change you. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Dead men can't have that. Only those who've been changed by Christ. <laughs> Preacher, I'm trying to change for the better. I'm trying to have, say it, new me in 2023. You're eight months behind this morning. Well, no, preacher, we're still in July. We got one day left. You're eight months behind all this morning. It's not about becoming a better you. It's not about changing who you are, but allowing God to change you to who he wants you to be. You're not formed or, or, or God didn't save you to become like the preacher or to become like your Sunday school teacher or to become like so-and-so. He saved you to become like him this morning. Jesus has already done what is necessary. It's not you changing for him, but it is him changing you by his grace and by his power this morning. Jesus has already done what's necessary. Here's the thing, when you figure out the Lord is doing the work in your life, it brings rest. 
Hebrews 4.10 says, For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. When you figure out God is doing the work for you, it brings rest. <laughs> Raising kids, and I was talking with my grandmother this week. Uh, her side of the family's got a family reunion today or yesterday and today, and we weren't able to make it up there. But I, I called her, uh, her and my grandpa this week, let her know that we weren't going to be able to make it. And I was talking with her, and she said, is, is TR like you when you were his age? <laughs> I laughed. I said, oh, yeah, more ways than one. I said, almost to the point, sometimes I feel like I need to call my mom and apologize. <laughs> Something about young, they love changing clothes. Six times a day, they'll change clothes. Well, I was in pajamas, I gotta get my outside clothes on, Dad, I gotta get my work clothes on, even though I ain't gonna do no work, but I'm gonna change my work clothes, Dad, and I gotta put these clothes on, and I gotta change this clothes. Here's, I was the same way growing up. I changed clothes, changed clothes, changed clothes, changed clothes. Finally, the point my parents said, why do you change your clothes so much? I didn't have an answer for them. Uh, that's what I do, I change my clothes. Here's the thing this morning, there's a lot of people, they have tried changing their clothes in essence over and over and over again. You've tried this, you've tried that, you've changed this, you've changed that, and you find yourself back at the same place over and over and over again. Why? It is not about you changing your life, but it's allowing God to change you. Let me ask you this morning, are you still in charge of your changes? Or have you allowed God to change you this morning? Preacher, can he do it? I promise you he can this morning. And when he does, you'll find out I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm redeemed. I've been paid for. I'm saved by the great. I'm sealed. And it will produce rest in your life. It was a blessing to me when I learned out I, couldn't, I could not live the Christian life by my ability. But I could through Christ. And God's power and God's strength in my life. Why? He's the one that changed me. He can change you this morning. He'll bring rest. Notice number two this morning, when he corrects you, it'll bring rest. Oh, preacher, go back to the change, please. <laughs> go back. To the, I don't want to talk about correction, preacher. I was writing this down, meditating it all, all week. I, I, I read that verse in verse number three last Sunday when I began to preach my message, and I almost, I almost went into there as a side note, but I stopped and been dwelling on it all week, that he has fought for you. There's some things he'll do for you that'll bring rest. Number two, he'll correct you. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, I can't tell how many times I've heard this verse preached. <laughs> and I've heard it preached this way. God takes you behind the woodshed every day because he loves you. And he's waiting for you. It's like he's, he's up in heaven with a switch, a belt, a paddle, and a flip-flop, just waiting on you to mess up. I'm waiting on you. I, I can't wait to whoop your tail. And we was, in, we was in Good News Club. We were talking about the, the subject of discipline. And, and, and I was trying to be polite. I was trying to be correct. And I said, have any of your parents ever disciplined you? Mm -hmm. I said, how? And someone raised their hand and said, well, my, sometimes my, my mom makes me count to 10. Another one says sometimes they'll, they'll take something away from them, they'll put me on restriction. I said, okay, I've heard of that. One kid raised their hand and said, well, you know, I get spankings. I said, I know about those. Had a few share of myself. And a little girl raised, a little black girl raised her hand. She said, Brother Tate, 
We get whoopings. <laughs> I said, I'm speaking your language. <laughs> but we hear the word chasten. We hear the word scourge. That's where our mind goes. God is fixing to tear our hind end up. That's where our mind goes. And that's, that's oftentimes how it's preached. But here's the interesting thing. You look that word chasten up in your strongest concordance, you got to go down a ways to find the word uh, discipline in that sense. Find the word of correction in that sense. But when you look it up, here's what it means. Instantly, when you look at it, it means to teach. It means to train. It means to correct. And so we got to, here's the thing. I, 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 for a while there, I thought it was normal. I thought it's what everybody did. I remember hearing Christian after Christian testify about how many times God has took them behind the woodshed and whooped their tail. And, and, and let into them and, rare, you know, rare, all that kind of stuff. And I remember sitting back like, man. But then I got to think about when I was growing up, <laughs> my dad tried alternative methods, methods of discipline outside of spanking for like two days. I can't tell you how many of I got growing up, what the reasons were. I, they worked, amen. My dad, I, what is it, my dad, my dad took the, the belt of wisdom and applied it to the seat of knowledge. And they connected, and I got it. I got it figured out. But I remember I'd go home, or, you know, during that night, I'd get a spanking. But I never went to school the next day and walked on the playground and said, hey, y'all, y'all ain't going to believe this. I got a spanking last night. I was ashamed of it. Right? I, I, I don't want to go bragging. I, don't, I mean, they probably could tell how I was walking. Something was off. <laughs> but I didn't go to school the next day and brag to all my friends Y'all ain't going to believe it. My dad whooped my tail last night. My mama let me have it. No, I just, whatever they, they spanked me for, I purpose in my heart not to do it again. Right? And oftentimes, you know, I, I sit here and I hear Christians bragging about how many times God has had to take them behind the woodshed. And, and, and the more I begin to think, here's what you're bragging about. Let me tell you how many times I've been disobedient to God. I've disrespected him. I haven't done what, I've, what he's told me to do. Thank God there is grace and thank God there is mercy this morning. Thank God and thank God he does. We, we're going to get the word scourge. It is there. But we've got to get past the word chasing this before you get the word scourge. In order uh, to get a scourge, you've got to get past chasing, which means to teach. It means to train. It means to correct. Let me ask you, why do you train somebody? You ever had to train somebody for a job? Why do you train them? So they can do what they're supposed to do? So they can know how to do it. They, they, they'll know what, what is required of them. Remember, I was working in the cabinet shop. We had hired a man, and, and he was to run the bean saw. Big, fancy saw. You can load multiple pieces of plywood in it. It cuts it up. It's an amazing piece of machinery. But it's really, it's ran by pushing a button. It's all you have to do. And so I, I was training the guy. I said, listen, uh, he was telling me, he said, I, I used to be a crane operator. I can do all kinds of math and all this kind of stuff. I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. But I don't see no cranes in here. <laughs> I said, here's what I need you to do. Push that button right there. And push it. When it beeps, push it again. Push it again. Here's the thing. When you, when you train somebody, you're teaching them how to do something. Right? Because you want them to know how to do it right. And when it, it comes to raising children, being a Christian, can I say God always teaches before he disciplines because that's how a father's supposed to do it. How many of you have ever got some of them, uh, you should have known better spankings? You go to do something, you thought it was all right. You didn't think there was anything wrong with it. 
You end up getting a spanking because you should have known better. If I would have known better, I wouldn't have done it. But I didn't know no better. I'm glad God doesn't parent that way. Anytime God does discipline you, you get down to the word scourge, which means to whip, means to discipline. It comes after the chastening. In essence, God doesn't discipline you for something you don't know. You don't know how to do. But he will always teach you first. The question is, are you being obedient to his teaching? Are you listening to his word? Are you being obedient to his voice? Are you doing what the word of God commands you to do? <laughs> Heard a preacher say one time, if God ain't whooping you on a daily basis, you need to check your salvation. I got to thinking about that. Can I say this morning, I'm, I'm the man of God, I'm the pastor of the church, but don't ever forget I'm just a man. Sometimes I'll say things, out of haste, sometimes I'll th say things out of nerves, sometimes I'll say things just because I feel like I need to say something to fill up the space. If I ever say anything off or uncharacteristic or something you're like, ah, that just don't sound right, come talk to me about it. Come talk to me about it. I'll gladly, uh, I, what I say behind here, it comes from God's word and I'm trying my best to be an instrument of God this morning, but ultimately my flesh and my humanity can get in the way of that this morning. And so I've ever said anything that's a little off, come talk to me about it. I'm not perfect, right? I, I'm not, in, I'm not in, inspired in the sense where what I'm saying is coming straight from heaven in that sense. I'm just a man, I'm a human being just like you are. Let me hear that preacher say that. And I said, man, that, that don't sound right. You're not getting whooped every day. You need to check your salvation. I got to thinking, I've got three kids and I don't whoop them every day. I mean, one of them gets close to it. <laughs> I'll say it this way. In my house, there's a whole lot more hugs than there are whoopings. There's a whole lot of reaffirmation of, you're my child. I'm your father. I love you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to provide. There, there ought to be a whole lot more training in the home than there is discipline. Well, I had this one that when God does correct me, Right, it's, it's not because he snatches me up by the back of my neck and whoops me out of anger, but he sits me down and he deals with me on something he's already told me and taught me about. Let me ask you this morning, are you experiencing the correcting work of the Lord in your life without it having the corrective effect in your life? Because now as a grown man, I, we've, we're talking about it this morning, well, I sure am grateful for the times my parents did discipline me for what I knew better about. Looking back on it, it reminds me that, man, they did care about me. They wanted better for me. And can I say, when God does the same exact thing to you, and you sit back and you'll say, thank you, Lord, and it'll produce a rest in your life that God really does care about me, cares about me enough to correct me. Number one, how can you find rest when God corrects you? Number two, you can find rest when he uh, when he changes you, number two, when he corrects you. Number three, this morning, when he comforts you. When he comforts you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three and four. The Bible says, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by comfort, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Here's the thing. When you get the correction issue settled, 
you'll be, better, uh, be, be able to better appreciate the comforting of the Lord a whole lot more in your life. You no longer see storms and valleys as punishments. You no longer see trials and tribulations as punishments for God, but rather they are areas in your life that you'll get to experience the, the comforting hand and the, the comforting word of God like you never have before. Paul prayed and asked, Lord, that I may know you. The power of your resurrection. Boy, we understand that the day we get saved. That great change helps us understand that. But then he said, the fellowship of your suffering. A storm arises, problems arise, and immediately we think, oh, God is mad at us. Job, Job was a righteous man. Job was a good man. Job had a wonderful testimony. And what did Job say? My days are full of trouble. But can I say, even in Job's darkest days, in darkest moments, he found out God did not forsake him. He found out that God was comforting him and God could help him. Can I say this morning, when God begins to comfort you, you'll find rest in your life. Notice this morning, verse number three tells us he possesses comfort. The God of all comfort. There isn't one single event, problem, tragedy, devastation that he doesn't possess the comfort for. What about, he, he can comfort you through. What about this, preacher? What about that? Whatever it is, he's a God of all comfort. Not only does he possess comfort, but notice this, he has the a a application of comfort. It's one thing to have something. It's a whole other thing to know how to use it. I'm about to make Brother Jacob mad right here. Years ago, somebody gave me a bait caster fishing rod. I guess that's the reel, right? Gave me a bait caster fishing reel on a rod. Still don't know where I got it from. I was thinking about, where did I get that from? But I remember I had that thing. Now, I know the push button one. Push the button in, throw the line out. Then there's an open face. I know how to use one of those. You click that thing back, you hold the string, you throw it out there, you start reeling it back in. I have no idea how to use a bait caster. And I heard somebody say one time, if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to turn into a rat's nest. String will be everywhere. <laughs> I had one, but I had no idea how to use it. <laughs> Preacher, did you get on YouTube? Did you ask somebody how to use it? No, I just sat it in my, I sat it in my, uh, the corner of my closet. <laughs> and then it disappeared one day. I'm not sure where it went or who has it. <laughs> and I haven't missed it because I didn't know how to use it. God doesn't just have comfort, but he knows where to apply that in our lives. He knows exactly what you need when you need it. He has the application of comfort. He says, well, who comfort us in all of our tribulations, that he may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Then our appreciation for our comfort. It's not that we go grab a, go grab a sympathy card from Dollar General, write it to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for comforting me. But when we appreciate comfort, we take the same comfort that God has comforted us with and begin to comfort other people with it. The same thing God did for us, we begin to do for somebody else. How do you know that God's comfort produces rest in our lives? Because we can help comfort others. People who are stressed or in distress won't do that. If you're not being comforted or you're not in a place of comfort by God, you're going to be stressed and distressed. You're going to be going crazy, racking your mind, and you won't be able to comfort nobody else. But the fact that we can take what God did for us and help somebody else with it is a sign that God has comforted us. See, the world has an idea of comfort and it's tied to the word luxury. Number one selling recliner in the world is not, we know it by name, it's Lazy Boy. 
It's comfort. Sitting there is comfort. Spend all this money on this mattress. It's comfort. You won't want to get out of bed. Buy this nice car. It's got heated and cooled seats, heated and cooled steering wheel. My car, the Flex, even has, uh, I can't remember, it's not an escape assist, but it's get out the car assist. And when I turn the key off and I put it in the park, my seat slides back to help me get out of the car easier. I said, there ain't no way that makes that big of a difference. And so I got out of the car and I went somewhere. I, I turned it off and that thing slid back and I slammed my leg. I said, that thing does make it easier. I don't know who that Ford came up with this, but they were smart. <laughs> it wasn't the guy who put the battery all in the back of the motor. It wasn't him for sure. But the world says comfort is tied to luxury. Have nice things, have nice stuff, and you'll be comfortable. The Lord's idea of comfort is peace. Last time I checked, when he came walking on the sea, and walked on the boat with them disciples, he didn't feed them a meal. He didn't prepare a bed for them. He didn't make anything in that sense. What did, he spoke peace. And they stepped back and said, what kind of man is this? That even the nature itself obeys him. Can I say this morning, your Christian life, when God begins to comfort you, you'll have a peace that produces rest in your life. The storm will still be howling, the problems will still be there, but you'll be comforted. And with that comfort comes peace, and with that peace comes rest. You'll say, I'll be able, I can sit right where I am, and everything's going to be okay, because God is in control. Let me ask you this morning, are you neglecting the comfort that the Lord has for you for things like worry and doubt this morning? Preacher, I need rest. Let him change you. Preacher, I need rest. Let him correct you. Preacher, I need rest. Let him comfort you this morning. What will he do for you this morning?